might have noticed that I was part of the band this morning. That was super fun. I mean, they're good, but without me, I don't think they would have really. Um, we thought that we would do a fun little switcheroo for Mother's Day, and that I would play in the band, and that Beth would preach. Hey, y'all! <laughs> now, just a, a little bit, I, I want you to know, I shared this a little bit in the video that went out on Friday, um, but we have uh, a leadership development process that we are working uh, at the church, and it's been very neat. We've been doing that for about a year, and we are asking, what does the Lord want us to uh, know? How does the Lord want us to be? And what does the Lord want us to be able to do in the five streams of ministry that we've talked about? Teaching is one of those streams of ministry. What does the Lord want us to know as people of God about the word of God, uh, about how you study, how you meditate, how you facilitate a small group? Um, how does the Lord want us to be people of the word? And how does the, the Lord, what's the tools, the skills that the Lord wants us to be able to do like preach and teach? And um, Beth has not only journeyed through the teaching uh, piece, the no be do, but she's also been discipling others in that ability. So it's it's very exciting um, to hear how this isn't just something like she's a great gal, so let's throw her up on the stage and have her <laughs> preach. No, there's there's been thought and training, of course, with her de uh, degree in seminary and so forth. So um, I wanted to pray for Beth and anoint her with oil. So if you're comfortable, would you uh, extend your hand out? Lord, we thank you so much for uh, the gift uh, that you have given us as a community of faith in Beth. Thank you for the vibrancy of her faith, her love for you, and her desire to honor you um, in all, not only that she does, but especially, Beth, who she is and her life and her desire uh, to walk with you, not just, uh, especially not just in outward appearance, but within her soul, Lord God. Her desire is to follow you. So, Lord, I thank you for all the gifts that you have given her, um, but we pray for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Grant you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would uh, her words be your words? Would she follow you in what you want to say to us this morning? And I pray for us, the congregation, give us ears to hear and eyes to see your truth. Amen. 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 It's so good to be able to speak with you this morning. Um, unfortunately, Pastor Eric cut into my preaching time, so we'll be here till 2 o'clock. I hope that's okay with, with everybody. Good, good. We'll order some pizza. Uh, happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Um, I have such tenderness for you and such, such a heart for you um, that is nowhere near the heart that our Heavenly uh, Father 
has for you. So we celebrate you today. Uh, my mom is one of the sweetest people that walks this planet. So I was um, very blessed to grow up with her as my mom. And when you grow up in a Christian home, I grew up in a Christian home. When you grow up in a Christian home, a lot of times kids think that their mom has like a direct line to Jesus. Like, how, like, how did she know that? I hid that so well. How did she know that? And I remember one time, um, I was 14, and my best friend was over. She had just turned 15. She had just gotten her learner's permit. And our, uh, we were both oldest of three and oldest by, by a, a significant amount of years. And our parents were very good friends. So our parents were out. And I don't remember where the middles were, but me and my friend were babysitting the two youngest, uh, my sister Caitlin and her brother Paul. And they were four at the time. They were both four. And um, we just decided in the middle of January, was, there was snow everywhere, snow banks everywhere and ice and and it was nighttime, and we just decided to put the kids in the car and go for a joyride um, around, <laughs> around our little suburb in Michigan. And um, before you get too nervous, I, my grandpa, we have a cabin up north in Michigan. My grandpa started teaching all of us how to drive when we were about 11 or 12. Um, I had to sit on a phone book in order to, to reach the pedals. A phone book was a... Um, a <laughs> So I had to sit on a phone book in order to reach the pedals. But that started when I was like 11 or 12. So at 14, I was already an expert driver. Um, and so no worries. Nobody needs to worry. And, you know, my friend had just gotten her driver's permit. So uh, also in the 90s, you didn't have to sit in a car seat until you were 15. And so, um, sorry, Cambria. Uh, <laughs> you didn't have to sit in a car seat until you were like, like an adult. Um, the way you do now. And so it was much easier, you know, the four-year-olds just go in the back seat. So her and I are driving around and we're switching, we're taking turns, we're like having the time of our lives. I think the kids, Caitlin and Paul, were just kind of like, uh, okay. Like, <laughs> they weren't really questioning what was going on here. Um, and so we, we get back, nothing bad happens, and we get back and I park the car and I like, I'm very diligent about like how it's measured in the garage. And um, then, and parents come home and we go to sleep. The next morning, I come into the kitchen and my mom serves me breakfast and we're the only two in the kitchen. And I'm like about to take a bite. And she's like, so who took the cars out last night? And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, like, how did she, we like measured the seat so that they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't know that like the seat had been moved. We measured the seat. We measured the, how in the world? Nothing happened to the car. Caitlin wasn't even out of bed yet. There's no way she tattled. How did she know? And we, <laughs> and we, uh, we you know, we, we have these, these stories just in regular kind of everyday culture that we talk up to a mother's intuition. We talk about this all the time, like just in regular culture. And I'm sure there are dozens maybe even hundreds of stories in this room um, of examples of this mother's intuition. And, and sometimes they're small things, and other times it's something that has, has saved a life. And, and fathers have this too, obviously, but, we, but this term mother's intuition is what we kind of know um, as, as this cultural phenomenon. And so we all believe in this. We believe in this mother's intuition. But for some reason, we don't believe or we have a hard time believing that we hear from God. 
or that we can hear from God or that that's something that we should be expecting. The Bible tells us that every believer is built to hear from the Holy Spirit. Every believer is built to hear the voice of God. So this shouldn't be a confusing or a concerning thing, but for so many of us, it, it is. We're in a series called More. We're unpacking different ministries of the Holy Spirit. And so today I'm gonna to talk about the, the ministry of counsel, the Holy Spirit's counsel. And this is actually a two-parter. So Pastor Eric will pick this up tomorrow. Uh, no, not tomorrow. <laughs> next week. <laughs> He'll pick it up next week. Um, so what is counsel? What is this ministry of counsel of the Holy Spirit? So it's, it's how the Holy Spirit guides us and directs us and gives us insight, this, this intuition that we, uh, we know that we talk about mothers having. Jesus um, actually talked about this a lot in the Gospel of John. His disciple John recorded, uh, recorded a lot about this. And so Jesus himself said, uh, the advocate, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. That's John 14, 26. And even before that, um, in John 10, he talks about how my sheep listen to my voice. We are his sheep. My sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. I know them. They know me. My sheep listen to my voice. So this is something that Jesus himself even talked about in his ministry. So how do we hear this voice? And, and what do we do about it? So would you turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19? We're going to look at verse 11 through 13. I'll give you just a few seconds to get your Bibles. 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Amen. I lived in California for, three, uh, for about three years, and I have lived through a few earthquakes. And the worst one, um, the, the scariest one, felt like my entire house had been picked up and slammed back onto the ground. So if you can imagine, you're your furniture, your, like all the bones of the house, like just being picked up and slammed on the ground. It was terrifying. Um, it took about an hour for my heart rate to go back down, for my adrenaline to go back down. I didn't know exactly what we were supposed to do. Um, so this is, this is no big, this is no small thing. These cataclysmic events, winds, hurricane winds, and fire, and earthquake, and the Lord wasn't in those. For Elijah, he was in this still, small voice, this gentle whisper. Elijah had to know what to be listening for. The difficult truth is that we're not good 
at listening to this gentle whisper. We listen to the wrong influences. We listen to the loudest situation in our life at the time. We seek entertainment at all times. We're not good at listening to this gentle whisper, to this still small voice. And we think we can hear, but we're spiritually deaf. I don't want to stay there. There's a man named Frank Laubach, and he wrote a very famous book um, in, in Christian circles in, the 19, in 1930. He wrote it in maybe 1929. It was published in 1930. And it's called Letters by a Modern Mystic. And I was studying it about six, six or seven months ago. And um, <laughs> interestingly enough, I was telling the choir about it. And David Henney, is David Henney in here? <laughs> David Henney said, oh, Frank Lubbock. Yeah, we heard him speak at a conference in the 50s. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> of course you did. Oh, just gems, gems, Marilyn and David. So he was a very, very prominent um, Christian writer, Christian thinker. He was an advisor to President Truman. Um, but before all of that, he was a missionary in the Philippines and in some um, Muslim countries that were very dangerous. And he, at some point in his life, he became very dissatisfied with the fact that after 15 years as a Christian minister, he still was not living his days in a minute-by-minute effort to follow the will of God. I'm not there yet. a minute-by-minute effort to follow the will of God. So he began trying to line up his actions and his will uh, with the will of God every few minutes. And his confidence at the time told him he was seeking the impossible. Um, But in 1929, he began to try living all of his waking moments in conscious listening to the inner voice, asking without ceasing, Father, what do you desire said this minute? Father, what do you desire done this minute? In his view, this is exactly what Jesus did. I I think I would say we see that in scripture too. This is exactly what Jesus did. God's intention was always that we would be in relationship with him. He designed us as temples. Our very body, our very being is a place to meet with him a place to seek him, to ask him questions and listen for answers. It actually struck me this morning as Pastor Eric was praying just now, Beth, the Hebrew word Beth means house. And I almost started crying in the middle of Eric's prayer. (laughs) The Hebrew word, so I always thought that was pretty lame. That's terrible that my my name means, Elizabeth means my God is abundance, Elisheba, but Beth (laughs) means house. And just this morning, just today, listening to the Holy Spirit, he gave me a fresh look on what my name means, on on my identity. We are built to be temples for his voice. So here's my invitation to you when it comes to the Holy Spirit's counsel. This is something that has helped me throughout the years as I have become more attuned to the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life. And they are these three words, listen, discern, obey. I'll say them again. Listen, discern, and obey. 
So how do we hear the voice of God? How do we know it's him? Um, the LA Times just uh, put out a headline a few days ago, and their big headline, it was about five days ago, the big headline was, it's not just you, we are all living in the United States of anxiety. <laughs> Amen, somebody, come on. <laughs> so the new, a new survey from the American Psychiatric Association just revealed that 39% of Americans are actually living um, at a more heightened state of anxiety than they were living a year ago. It was over 1,000 adults were surveyed. They were surveyed last spring, and then they were just surveyed with the same questions um, this, uh, uh, just the first week of May, actually. And so then this study was published, and Dr. Anita Everett, who is the president of the American Psychiatric Association, she says that her prescription for reducing stress includes regular exercise, healthy eating, relaxation, time with friends and family, and in necessary cases, medication. So we've solved it. Done. We've solved it. But I think that we all know that, that that's not working. It's not working for us as a people of God. It's not working for the nation because it's missing this key element. It's missing the most vital, vital element in healing anxiety and in healing anything. And that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to our entire being. Hallelujah. So I have found that the most key aspect in listening to the voice of God is silence and solitude. Now, thank you, Logan. I love it. And now those are spiritual disciplines. So I'm, this, I'm not just pulling that out of thin air, but silence and solitude. Um, this is also what we observe in Elijah's story. He, he was already practicing silence and solitude. He was in a cave. You can't really get any more solitude than that. He was in a cave. I don't think there was music playing. I don't think, there, I don't think they had like the worship music category yet. There was no music playing. He, so he was already in this practice of silence and solitude. And there's a, a quote, incredible quote by Henry Nouwen, who is kind of a, a renowned Christian author, and he's a teacher in spirituality, Christian spirituality. And he says this, we do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside time to be with God and listen to him. And he also said about this subject, solitude is the furnace of transformation. Write that down. Solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. That's heavy, that's heavy stuff. It's a good encouragement to press into silence and solitude. I think you could also picture this as spiritual loitering or spiritual lingering. We, lead, we read this all over the, are you okay? Okay, that's fine. Hand three. That, that's a vocal mic, this is a speaking mic. This one? Yeah. Okay, we're starting from the beginning. Um, <laughs> starting from the beginning, because this is being recorded, y'all. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. We'll start.
where we were. Let's start with the Henry Nouwen quotes, because we should get those on tape. <laughs> Henry Nouwen, we do not take the spiritual life seriously if we don't set aside time to be with God and listen to him. Solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. So you could also think of this as spiritual lingering, spiritual loitering. This is all over the Psalms. I meditate on you day and night. I think about you throughout the night. I sit in the temple and delight in your law, delight in your ways. This is all over the Psalms. This was also in Jesus's ministry, this spiritual lingering, spiritual loitering. Silence and solitude are of course not the only answer to listening. Once you are more attuned to his voice, making a conscious effort to listen to him throughout the day, you can hear his counsel at any time. Uh, many times I use scripture in my times of silence and solitude. I confess sins and I seek healing so that the voice of God is not blocked by pain or anger or unforgiveness. Staying in a posture of listening and awe is one of the most effective ways to listen to the voice of God. When your affection for God is elevated, so many other things evaporate. Now, could you spend time in silence and solitude and not hear anything? You don't get any impressions, you don't get any words, you don't get, you don't get a picture. Absolutely, yeah, you can. But was that time spent in vain? No. Listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit is a practice of cultivation. It's not a one and done. One, um, just this morning, I was reminded by a good friend that um, I, I said to, to her, um, this isn't something you haven't heard before. It's not brand new information. And she said, she said well, uh, that doesn't matter. Like the Holy Spirit can give us new insight. And, can, and it was like, oh, that's right. We're not supposed to just like read the Bible and then it's done for the rest of our lives. <laughs> We're supposed to read it all the time. So you can, you can position yourself so that when he wants to speak, you are found listening. Does that make sense? Great. One time, um, a really good friend of mine, when I was living in New York, a really good friend of mine was cleaning. She was in the middle of cleaning her apartment. It was, you know, kind of an all afternoon thing. And in the middle of vacuuming, this thing, this wave of loneliness and sadness came over her, completely out of the blue. It was so profound that she had to stop vacuuming and, and, and sit down on the couch. And the house was quiet. There wasn't any music playing. There wasn't anyone else in the house. And, and she sat down, and before she could even, like, have a breakdown, before she could even start crying or, or sit in this misery that had just come over her of sadness and loneliness, she heard a voice. She heard the voice of God say, Stop. I am your love story. That was it. Amen. That was all he said. That was it. And she could breathe, 
and her spirit rested, and she stood up, and she kept on with her cleaning. Okay? That's just a little example of how when you're in a posture of listening, he can speak to you at any time. He loves to find you in a posture of listening. He always wants relationship with you. You don't ever have to question that. So this brings us to discernment. How do we discern what the voice of God is saying? Romans 2 tells us, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and improve, right there, discernment, test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Scriptures are pretty clear that when discernment is given, it's a gift. It's not something to like strive and grit and grip for. It's not something to be forced. But when we can, we can cultivate this presence of discernment just like we can cultivate a posture of listening to the voice at all times. We, uh, discernment starts to come easily when we're indifferent to any other outcome but the will of God. That is difficult, very difficult. It's Mother's Day, moms, parents, our children are a huge bias. We want them safe, we want them protected, we want them successful. We don't want harm to come to them. We don't want them to be uncomfortable. That is a huge bias. And it is, it is built into us. We were built to nurture. We were built to love our children. But that's a huge bias. That can skew discernment. Discernment comes more easily when we are indifferent, when there's even like a prayer of indifference to any other outcome but God's. Amen. I'm speaking to myself this morning. Amen, Beth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so here, uh, when we're in a process of discerning the voice of God, here are some key questions. Is God good? Is kind of a foundational question. Is God good? So we know through scripture and through experience, yes, unequivocally, God is good. If you get tripped up there, if you question whether or not God is actually good, that is an invitation for healing. Don't ignore that, okay? You can't, we can't really move on to discernment and hearing the voice of God if we don't believe that God is good and has our best at heart. So that is an invitation for healing. Don't ignore that. But if we can answer, yes, God is good, then here's another thing. Does it align with scripture? what you're hearing, what you're listening, and what you're trying to discern, does it align with scripture? Does it, does it align with the character of God that we see in scripture? That's a big one. Thirdly, what is the way in this situation that you're trying to discern? What is the way that points to God's love? So think of it this way. Counterfeit experts. There's a... There's a few branches of government that have counterfeit experts. I don't know all the ins and outs of that. We, the, the Secret Service does, and the FBI, and the Treasury. Um, but counterfeit experts have studied so intently 
they know the dollar bill and other bills so well that they can recognize any other bill as false immediately. And now with technology, they're even better at it. They can recognize on site any other bill as false. That's their whole job. So we have an invitation to become that good at knowing the voice of God, to become that expert at hearing and knowing and discerning the voice of God so much that when we hear any other voice, we recognize it as counterfeit right away. You are counterfeit, get away from me. You are not from the Lord. And I do have to mention that every once in a while, those voices, those counterfeit messages, those are coming from you. That's another invitation to healing. Amen. Oh, goodness. A few years ago, I was, um, I, I was on a mission trip in Brazil. I want to see everyone at the rummage sale next week, by the way. I'm running it. If I'm going to be sweating in Texas in June, y'all are helping us out, okay? So <laughs> uh, I was on a mission trip in Brazil a few years ago. It was a medical mission trip. I was on a medical boat going down the Amazon, so we were in, like, the, the jungle, um, and this one day we had broken up into the, uh, my big team had broken up into like three or four smaller teams. And so my team, um, that day was to go into the villages, into some of the villages in the jungle and deliver these baby chicks. Um, so each village was getting a number of baby chicks and some would be raised for slaughter and some would be raised, um, to lay eggs. So we were delivering these baby chicks to this one village and we were kind of in the backyard of this hut um, this home, and there were kids running around, and, you know, it was very kind of idyllic um, for, the, for the jungle, and this, this young man ran in, started speaking to the translator really fast, really animated, and then he, like, ran, ran away, ran back out, and the translator comes to me because in the group, in that group, I was the only pastor in the group. I was the only one on ministry staff and in that smaller group, and the translator <laughs> looks at me and says, here's the situation. Um, a man is on his way whose teenage son was just murdered in a neighboring village, and the village now wants revenge, la, 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 this, and he's on his way. He wants to speak to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm wearing a T-shirt and cargo pants, and sandals and not a stitch of makeup on. I probably looked like I was about 15. And he's coming to talk to a pastor. <laughs> so I said, sure, okay. Um, and so he got here and he was like, uh, like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, like a, like a smaller version of Dwayne, <laughs> Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He's humongous. His arms were like boulders and he had these very dark sunglasses on and he had shaved his head and he with him was with a whole bunch of other men that you know they're kind of tromping around the village like they're gonna go get revenge on his his murdered son so he comes up and he the translator introduces us and he starts talking to the translator and so the translator is telling me everything that he's saying I I was very quiet I only asked one or two questions and um, I'm praying, kind of praying internally the whole time. And then I finally say, you know, I just am letting him get this all off his chest. And then I finally say, would it be okay 
if we prayed for him? And the translator said, and he says, see, yes, okay. Would it be okay if I put my hand on his arms or on his shoulders? See, okay. So my team surrounds him and, and the other people that were in the yard surrounded him as well. And I put my hands uh, on his arm and started praying. And uh, quickly, pretty quickly into the prayer, I start hearing this voice over and over, forgive, forgiveness, forgive, forgive. And I'm still praying, but I'm hearing this voice over and over. And so I have to quickly do this discernment. Okay, does this align with scripture? Is this a way that would point to God's love? Is this, it, it, does this point to the character of God? Does this, I'm, I'm doing all of this in my head as I'm listening to this voice from the Holy Spirit say, forgive, forgiveness. So, okay, that all checks out. I start praying into, into forgiveness, right? And I start, it kind of becomes like an exhortation of forgiveness between the villages and this, you know, this beautiful picture of this new season of harmony and peace. This man starts weeping, huge guy starts weeping and I'm still praying. Okay, so the prayer ends. He hugs me and he's, he's talking, talking, talking. The translator's trying, you know, thank you so much. I don't know what I would have done, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so we say our goodbyes. We leave. We have to go to a different village to give them more baby chicks. So, <laughs> so we leave and my team was made up of all people that were older than me. And all, men and women, but they were all older than me. And they're all staring at me in the truck. And they're just like, and I'm like, what? what happened? Like, what did I do? And they're like, how did you have the nerve to tell this man that he needed to forgive when his son had just been murdered last week? And I, just, I had no idea. I was like, what? That, like, that didn't even occur to me. And one of the guys was like, he could have turned around and snapped your neck. And I, I, this did not even occur to you, could occur to me. When you are in a posture of listening and discerning and carrying out the will of God, he supplies the courage. He supplies the words, right? Come on, that's so good. Thank you, Jesus. He supplies the courage. He supplies the words. You don't have to worry. He supplies even the protection. It did not even occur to me that this would be some, like something dangerous that I was walking into. Amen. So that kind of leads us to obedience. Yeah. John 4, 34. Nourishment comes from doing the will of God. Have you ever thought about that? It's such a short verse but it's packed with so much meaning. I have a feeling that we think of obedience in a very different way. Some of us think of obedience in like something is being withheld from us or, you know, how dare God want me to, you know, X, Y, and Z. I think we, we think of obedience in a different way, unless you're a parent. And if your children are obedient, then that's a wonderful thing. But as adults, I think we think of obedience to God in a very different way than nourishment. Hmm. Many places that talk about obedience in the New Testament use this phrase, does the will of God. So if you read anything resembling that sentence, the will of God, do the will of God, they're talking about obedience. You know, 
don't just hear the word of God, do the word of God, or hear the will, do the will. They're talking about obedience. This is not a situation of doing the very least to get by. This is not a situation of pursuing the minimal standards. Obedience is pursuing extravagant fulfillment, abundant fulfillment of God's word. Obedience is pursuing joyful carrying out of God's word, joyful carrying out of God's will. Interestingly enough, the New Testament word for obedience, hupako, is made up of two Greek words, hupo, which is under, and aduo is to hear. So it literally means to hear under. So in the Greek, it's a term that invokes intent listening. It's a term that invokes sitting at the feet of Jesus and soaking up everything he is saying. It is a term that invokes compliant submission. Hmm. So that is the first act of obedience. Listening to the will of God is the first act of obedience. Amen. If you don't attend to this first, obedience, carrying out the will of God is going to be a very frustrating task. It's going to feel like striving. It's going to feel like grit and grip and, oh, I don't want to do this. And how could you make me do this? If you are not first listening and attuning and sitting in a posture of awe and wonder and not sitting at the feet of Jesus and soaking in his word, obedience is going to feel very difficult. That's not the way of the Lord. Jesus's yoke is easy and his burden is light and he wants to help lead you into obedience so that it's easy, so that it's joyful, so that there's freedom. Uh, This is not an area to look for loopholes and I, I think that a lot of us do. The reason that this is not an area to look for loopholes is because of the benefits. Obedience produces greater intimacy. Obedience produces unshakable foundations. Obedience produces, oh, obedience incurs the, the loving gaze of God. We read about this in Isaiah. Obedience actually causes God to gaze on you with such affection and such love. Man, I want that. Anytime we see people in the Bible looking to do only what is necessary to stay respectable in the eyes of the religious leaders and the religious communities, they're the ones that are missing the mark. They're the ones who unfortunately are not going to inherit everything that God has for them. A very good, fem- a, a very good family friend of ours. Um, I've known her since I was very young. She was recounting her testimony to my family one time when she was over for dinner. And I was young. I was a like a preteen when she told us this story, but it's always stuck with me. So she was in the 60s and 70s. She was full 
on into hippie life and everything that that term kind of meant. And we use that term nowadays and it, it means something a little bit different. Like I would have no problem calling myself a hippie because I like healthy things. So that, that we use it a little bit differently now. Um, but back then she was in the whole free love festivals drugs, alcohol, always inebriated in some way, shape, or form. And when she came to Christ, the way that she describes it is that these boundaries and these, these guidelines were, made her feel so safe and made her feel so protected and loved that she actually felt the greatest freedom that she had ever felt in her life. And that was what she had been seeking. That kind of freedom and that kind of protection and love was what she had been seeking in all of this hippie culture, free love. All. And she found it in Christ. She found it in the guidelines, in the healthy guidelines. She found it in obedience to walk like Christ. The most freedom she had ever felt. Hallelujah. So the law said, you know, with the people that did the very least in order to get by with the religious communities, the law said, do it yourself. I don't really care about you. Prove it to me. Do it to yourself. But we are a people living in the new covenant. We are a people living in the victory of Christ. And we are a people living under the grace of Christ. And grace says, I will help you do it. I want to help you do it. He wants to help with everything. He wants in. So let him help by listening to his voice and maybe using silence and solitude, by discerning his voice and carrying out what he is telling us. I know we didn't read the rest of the story um, with Elijah. But Elijah then, he heard the voice of God. He's discerning the voice of God. And he, Elijah went out and did what the Lord t told him to do. And we know from scripture the glory that was waiting for Elijah. That he was carried up in a chariot. Hallelujah. Connectedness to the Holy Spirit is how we transform and grow to look more like Christ. Hmm. I'm going to bring us into our closing exercise here. The worship team can come up. If you uh, could get out a piece of paper or your bulletin and a pen, there are some pens in the backs of the seats. There should be, definitely should be enough for everybody. We're going to do a very quick listening exercise. There's no pressure. There's, there's no condemnation. This is for the Lord to speak straight to your heart with encouragement and love and to let you know that, yes, you too can hear the voice of God. <laughs> so we're going to just have a few seconds of silence and then Brittany will lead us in the last song and, and I'll pop back up here. So here's your question. Listen for your answer. Write down what the Holy Spirit says. 
carry it with you through the week. This is very important. Listen very intently to this. If you don't hear anything, if you don't get a concrete impression or a concrete word or a concrete picture, that is okay. The Lord is delighted that you are giving him this time. It is perfectly okay. But I have a feeling that the Lord is going to surprise you and that he's going to give you an answer. Here's your question. What moment in this past week was God so pleased with you? That's your question. Let's listen, and then you can write down the answer.